The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. This is the Employment Law Show. Welcome to the evening. For the next half hour, we're talking about employment law. We are smashing the myths and misconceptions about all of it. So uh, feel free to join the show. John Scholes here, my good pal Andrew Goldberg, courtesy San Firo Tamarkin LLP, is in-house answering all of your questions as we have them listed on the call screen program. The Goldman is here. So uh, feel free to feel free to call in and ask Andrew anything. He is well steeped in employment law knowledge. He can answer your questions. You can always email help at employmentlawyer.ca. And uh, then there's also pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. That website was constructed a few years ago just for you to use and educate yourself on your own time. And rolled into that is the trustee severance calculator. And that, uh, by the use of 2 million people, have awakened everybody to what their uh, actual severance should be. That available at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We will get to our topic of the day very shortly. And that is, if you're an employer, you should never do these things. We'll get to that, but you always start off with the case of the day. Mr. Goldberg, how are you, pal? What do you got for us? I'm well, John. Been a while. Happy to be yeah, back on. Um, well, obviously the news that's making waves these days is the number of layoffs in the tech sector. So I wanted to touch on that a bit. Um, obviously our listeners probably have heard most recently, there's news of a mass layoff of 50% of the Twitter employees, and yeah. that includes, uh, yeah, so this big news, obviously, especially with Elon Musk at the helm, and those layoffs include um, some of its Canadian divisions. So I wanted to speak briefly about the implications there. Uh, the first and foremost being, you know, there's been some murmur about the fact that these Twitter employees are going to receive about 60 days pay in lieu of notice. And the idea that just because that might be appropriate in the States, for example, does not mean that that's appropriate for these employees working in Canada. And in fact, and as we talk about all the time on the show, 60 days probably is a far cry from what most of these employees are actually owed um, in the Canadian legal system. So for those individuals who work for Twitter or really work for any tech company or any company at all, for that matter, if you're laid off, uh, don't take the company's offer at face value. You very well could be owed additional money. And one further point to that I just wanted to raise is because there's some confusion, and, and I'm hearing it uh, from people who are calling in to me all the time, is the fact that, you know, what if you're working in Canada and in Ontario, but it's an American-based company? Yep. Does that have any impact on your severance? And the answer, simply put, is no. If you're working in Ontario and you're performing your duties in Ontario, then the law here applies, and you would be owed your severance um, in accordance with our laws, which very likely exceeds the 60 days that allegedly is being offered to a lot of these employees. So basically, American company, if you work in the States, too bad for you. It's employment at law. Chances are you'll get very little, maybe 60 days. But if you're working here, this is where you plant your flag on Canadian soil in Ontario. Even though your business card's an American company, they still have to go by Ontario employment laws, which is much better in this case, right? Of course. Uh, yes, the yeah. laws in Ontario are very strong for employees and, uh, you know, afford way higher severance entitlements. And, you know, there's also news floating around that Meta is, is going to lay off staff this week as well. So people who work in Canada uh, for Meta, and, and, you know, we expect to see more and more of this across the tech industry. It's, it's critical 
that um, if you receive a severance package from one of these companies, have it reviewed by one of our lawyers or one of our legal professionals before you sign it because you could be passing up, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, Meta, of course, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram and about a, I don't know, a handful of other things. There's, there's way too many now as far as social media is concerned. But heads up for those people. Again, as Andrew says, if you're working for one of them on Canadian soil and all of a sudden you get the old pink slip, you get sent up to the uh, the office with two people, a binder and some frosted windows, you know what's coming up, but that's okay. Give Andrew a, a call anytime. By the way, to do that, to reach out when we're not doing this uh, this uh, half-hour radio, one 855 821 help at Andrew's got a great team with them always ready to uh, sit and willing and have a chat to discuss your particular matter and our topic for today is if you're an employer you should never do these things and the first one in that regard is you should never assume that severance is ah one or two weeks per year what do you say about that Andrew well I mean that's that's one of the most common misconceptions Mm -hmm. that we come across all the time and that's because there is legislation out there that in Ontario that does say you know, you could get one week per year. And in some instances, if you work more than five years, you get a second week per year of service, right? So if you're just doing, you're trying to be a Google lawyer, I I call it, and you're trying to look online for information, that's what you might come across. That oh, the severance entitlement is one or maybe two weeks per year. What's important to note is that that is the minimum entitlement that someone could receive, not their full entitlement. And the vast majority of employees across the province are owed their full or complete entitlement, which can often cases exceed a month per year of service. So if you're an employer, you shouldn't let someone go on the basis that you're assuming they're only going to be owed one or two weeks per year because the the overwhelming likelihood is that is going to be a far cry from what this employee is owed and very much incorrect, especially these days with the you know waves of layoffs. If you're laying off 10 or 15 or 20 people and you're like, okay, well, I'm only going to owe two weeks per year for each, and then you're surprised to find out it's actually a month, the cost of you laying these people off could be double what you expected. So it can have significant implications um, if you if you aren't careful. So it's a definitely not a, a smart assumption to make. Yeah, that's actually, uh, mentioning that, Andrew, is a good time to mention at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, I did uh, kind of uh, make mention of the severance calculator. If you're an employer, you can also use that tool as well. Say, look, I got to let, you know, this guy go or this 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 person go from my, uh, from my outfit, but I want to pay them proper severance. I want to do right by them. Um, how much am I going to owe them? Use the severance calculator and that'll give you a heads up so there's no uh, no surprises moving forward. Want to get in a quick call before we take a short break. Uh, Dafik, thank you so much for hanging on for the uh, for the moment. What's your question? Uh, my name is Tafik. Uh, my question is, my company uh, eliminated my job, then they blame it for some structure change. And they said uh, they'll give me another job. And when they give me another job, I told them I have a lifetime in, uh, body impairment and, and provided them all the restriction and everything. And they said, okay. And they got a third party uh, who uh, ergonomist and based on his opinion, they said, they said the job is suitable. I just want to know what's, and later on in the report, I found the ergonomist guy, he, in his report, he said he's a, he's a certified kinologist, kinesiologist, and he's a, and he's a certified Canadian professional ergonomist. And I checked and verified his credential with the association and it, I figure out he's not a registered certified member. Then I just checked if his company is valid. 
So he's using he's a solo proprietor and he's using uh, say like Tophic consult uh, Tophic and associations. And I figured out it's inactive company in Ontario since 2008. So is it illegal? And did he misrepresent himself and his report is valid or not? Because all my job is depends on his uh, in his uh, opinion. Right. Well, what what's very important is what your own medical profession professionals say, right? So mm-hmm. if you have medical professionals, doctors, or you know specialists of your own who indicate that the job that they've tried to put you in and move you from one job to the other is not suitable for your your medical issues, then 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 you have to stick by what your doctor is saying. So. It's not up to the company to hire their own person, and you just have to listen to what that person says. If your own medical professionals disagree, there could be an issue there, certainly, especially because it seems like they were accommodating you in your old job, and then they eliminated that job and are now saying, you know, we're not going to accommodate you in the new job. So, Dothic, it appears there's a couple issues here that you have to deal with. In the circumstances, if you're not receiving the proper accommodation, as supported by your own doctors, I would definitely give our firm a call and have a consultation with one of our lawyers so we can try to give you some more specific feedback and help you through the problem. All right. Thanks, Dafik. Oh, just cut him, but he, uh, he went away there for a second. Again, Dafik, got to let you go. We got to do a break, but uh, the moral of the story is, yeah, give Andrew and his team a call. one 855 821 Again, one 855 821 Help at employmentlawyer.ca. There's more answers to be found at that number, my friend. Steve, I see you there. Stand by. We're going to get to you next and your phone calls. we got lots of lines open and we'll continue Tuesday night edition. Employment Law Show. Stand by. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Welcome back to the Employment Law Show. Been standing by. Awesome. Stevie, how are you? How about how you doing, guys? Good, man. What's, uh, what's on your mind? Quick question. Uh, we got a family friend uh, that uh, she's in her late 70s, early 80s. She's still working. I mean, her job, it's not a heavy job, but she still wants to keep working and keep busy. Awesome. And her employer told her they ha- she has to retire. They're going to force her to retire. Are they allowed to do that? Hell no. <laughs> yeah, I mean... So, Steve, the the very clear answer to that is no, they cannot, okay? So someone cannot be forced to retire. A retirement, like any resignation, has to be the decision of the employee, right? Like, they have to make the decision voluntarily, I don't want to work here anymore. Being forced to retire is the same thing as being fired. You know what I mean? It's just that if it was so easy as forcing someone to quit or forcing someone to retire, then no one would ever be fired. Everyone would just be forced into quitting, right? So the the simple answer is no, the company cannot force your uh, friend's mother into retiring. A couple words of advice I would give to her. One is if she feels she's being compelled to retire, I'd have her make sure that she puts somewhere in writing that she does not intend on retiring. You don't want all these conversations to be verbal. You want her to lay out in writing in a text, an email, something. You know, by the way, you keep telling me I'm gonna, I have to retire and asking me when I'm going to retire. I have no intentions of retiring. 
I intend to continue working until such time as I decide I'm no longer going to be working. But right now, I intend on continuing to work. And if she has further issues on that front, not only could she be owed a severance if they force her into retirement, but potentially human rights damages on the basis of age, if, if we can establish that that's discriminatory because if she's getting up there in age and that's the reason they want her out of there, that that could be discriminatory and she could be owed human rights damages as well. So if this is an issue that seems to be continuing in her workplace and she has concerns about it, that's definitely a case that we can help her with and uh, we deal with all the time. So we're happy to do so. I'll tell her. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate the call. And I think, uh, you know, if you're going to reach out, which you probably will, to Andrew and his team afterwards, do not hesitate, especially with this matter. This is going to be easily handled by Andrew. And that is 1-855-821-5900. And I think the key takeaway there is the ageism part. I mean, they can't simply, you know, uh, as you said, a you know, a retirement is something you do uh, voluntarily unilaterally. They can't tell you you're going to retire. They're firing you at that point. And at that point, she's probably old severance. We don't know how long she would be, was working there, Andrew. But yeah, they simply just, they can't do that based on her age, right? Right, exactly. And I mean, once you start using the word retire, it almost, you know, that in and of itself is not going to necessarily amount to discrimination, but it likely will because mm-hmm. it's implying that, Retiring implies that you're up there in age and your career is coming to an end. You know what I mean? So it almost yep. builds in an age component to it where, like Steve said during his call, that she has no intention of, of leaving the job. It might not be a cumbersome job. It could be a few days a week. It could be anything. But if she's not prepared to leave the job at this time, then they can let her go and terminate her and give her severance as, as she's entitled to or wait till she's prepared to resign. And again, the overwhelming thing there, as you mentioned uh, smartly, was get it in writing. Make a permanent record of it so there's no he said, she said, you know, if, if things decide to hit the fan, right? So good call on that one. We are talking about uh, if you're an employer, you should never do these things. Another one is fire an employee while they're on a medical leave or maternity leave. That smacks of stupidity right there. <laughs> it does, but uh, surprisingly or maybe unsurprisingly at this point, <laughs> it's still <laughs> things we see all the time, right? Especially... I can't stress enough how many times, you know, just to preface this, there are some very limited examples where you can let someone go on medical leave or maternity leave. For instance, if you worked in a division and that whole division shut down, so the right. determination has nothing to do with you as an individual, but everyone was let go, that could be considered acceptable, right? But anything really sort of that, it's amazing what we see because you have the right, if you're on a medical leave or maternity leave, you have the right to your job at the conclusion of the leave. And I can't stress enough how many cases I've seen firsthand where someone's fired on a maternity leave that's not scheduled to end for six or eight months. And the employer's like, oh, well, we have no work for you. It's like, well, how do you know you have no work for that person? They're not even scheduled to come back for a significant period of time. So it's clearly garbage that you're making that assessment now. And it's just such an easy case to make out if you're representing an employee. So if I'm talking now with my employer hat on and trying to speak for employers, they're, you know, them on the other side as the employee, they're going to have the easiest case to get like not only a full severance, but also additional human rights damages as well, or, Mm -hmm. you know, punitive or additional aggravated damages because of being let go while on a statutorily protected leave. So it just you can't be making that mistake and if you're going to do that you just have to be aware that it's going to be a very costly decision 
If you're an employee, you should never make changes to an employee's job without considering the consequences. What do you mean by that, pal? Well, what is meant by that is the fact that when you have a, a job and you have a role, you're entitled to your job and your compensation for that job and the terms of your employment. And if you're an employer and you want to make changes to those terms, whether it be the duties and responsibilities, the pay, the hours, or what have you, you have to be mindful of the fact that that employee could turn around, say, I don't accept those changes. These are material and significant changes. I don't accept them. If you insist on implementing them, I'm going to treat my job as being terminated. That's what we call a constructive dismissal. So you might think you're making some changes to an employee's job that they should accept or whatever in your mind as an employer. But if Mm -hmm. it is a fundamental change, then they could treat that as a constructive dismissal and you could be on the hook for severance for that individual. This all circles back to the employment agreement, which we stress so much on this show. If you don't have one, especially that outlines any of these changes as you as an employer want to make, then you're going to get yourself in some hot water because you should have done that from the outset. Yes? Precisely. You know, when we speak oh. from the employee perspective, people often have the misconception that have, not having an employment agreement is a bad thing. But in fact, it's a good thing because it protects the job the way it stands. If you're an employer, what you can do is you can have an employee, before they start, sign an employment agreement or give them maybe a small raise or something to sign an employment agreement. And in that agreement, you can stipulate as an employer, we're allowed to change your hours of work. We're allowed to change your location. We're allowed to change your duties, things of that nature. If that is part of the contract, then now that's suddenly okay to make those changes. So if you're an employer, the first thing you want to do is ensure that you have employment agreements in place that give you the rights uh, that you wish to have as an employer to make certain changes without worrying about the employee treating that as a constructive dismissal and pursuing severance just because you're trying to make a change as opposed to let someone go. Get to one more of these before we move on to some calls and emails. If you're an employee, you should never misclassify an employee as an independent contractor. God, how many? we've talked about this ad nauseum, but it, it keeps happening, right? Well, yeah, it happens all the time because there's, there's benefits at the front end, right? Because if you misclassify an employee as an independent contractor, then it's great because you don't have to worry about, as an employer, payroll deductions, CPP mm-hmm. contributions, EI contributions, you know, WSIB payments, things like that. So you can save a bunch of money, the employee on the flip side, you know, can there's some tax advantages to being called an independent contractor, so to speak, on paper. But if you're an employer and you misclassify an employee as an independent contractor, then what you could be doing is exposing yourself to claims for severance in the long run. For instance, if you terminate the individual on the basis that they're an independent contractor, if they're really not, if they're really working full time and you know, you're delegating them their, their responsibilities and they, you know, really look like an employee, you could be you could owe them severance just like an employee would be owed. And on top of that, you could owe them retroactive vacation pay, overtime pay, uh, things of that, public holiday pay, all kinds of things that you didn't kind of account for when the relationship was, was good. But now that you want to kind of let them go, they could claim these things retroactively and there's significant exposure as an employer if you choose to do that. 
Let's get on to an email. Uh, Andrew, this one from Dimitri says, hey, guys, my team made a mistake on an important project. While it was embarrassing, it didn't really cause any irreparable damage. Because I was the team manager, I took the blame, was fired for cause. My boss said she could cancel the termination, but I would have to accept a lesser role. What are my rights now? Right. So that, <laughs> that's an interesting question from Dimitri. Well, number one, just because you were the team manager of the individual who made the mistake, that does not mean that that mistake justifies your termination for just cause. Like, I mean, everyone makes mistakes, and especially as a leader, if you have a lot of people working under you, there's going to be an expectation that people in your team make mistakes at times. And if it wasn't, you know, some catastrophic thing where you were negligent or, you know, willfully ignorant to what that person was doing, um, it, it, it does not necessarily justify a termination for cause. You know, especially when, when you take the blame, people think, you know, diverting the blame sometimes is the right move. And that is the right move if you genuinely aren't to blame, right? But if you did make some degree of a mistake, owning it and taking responsibility for it is actually a good thing because it shows that you're acknowledging it and the relationship with the employer is not completely broken down. So first and foremost... I don't think that this would amount to a four-cause termination, and Dimitri could be owed severance. Now, if she can't, if his boss now cancels the termination, whatever that means, I guess brings him back to work and mm. tries to put him in a lesser role, I would argue he does not have to accept that lesser role. He could, he could demand to be put back in his you know, regular position and with his regular pay and responsibilities and things like that. And if he's instead unilaterally demoted by the employer, he too can treat that as a constructive dismissal because as we you know talked about earlier in the show, if fundamental changes are made to his role, such as his duties and responsibilities, and, and he's effectively demoted, then he could treat that as a termination as well. So what I would recommend to someone like Dimitri, again, and this is a you know something we drill home all the time, but it can't go understated, is give us a call now before things continue to unravel because as things continue to unravel there's less that we can do to help influence the situation and and help you preserve your rights someone like dimitri and do the right things before it's too late right so that's it's imperative that he calls plus if he accepts this role a lesser role you're assuming might be less money as well that could be have a cascading effect if he's ever let go down the line at that lower pay it could all around it could just be bad news for him right Right, and I, I knew you were going to jump on that. I didn't <laughs> long enough, so so thank you for mentioning that because that's exactly right. If he ends up, say Dimitri goes back and he says, "Fine, I will take that lesser role," and he does that role for three weeks or a month, and say, just as you said, if the pay is less, by the time he comes to us and you know speaks to me, says, "Andrew, here's what's going on," if he's held that role for a decent period of time, the company could argue that well, he's effectively accepted the demotion because he's continued to work in the demoted role. It's important that if changes are made to your job as an employee, and those are detrimental changes, you want to act on that as quickly as possible. You don't want to continue to work while those changes are in place, because it opens the door for the employer to argue that now these changes have been accepted, and you have no right to your old job back in in the old terms of your employment. Great stuff, and it's a wrap. Andrew Goldberg can be uh, can be found anytime moving forward, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. And again, that website you can always use to learn more about your employment law rights and access that severance calculator, if only for uh, interest's sake, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, Employment Law Show.
The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.